You know, in, in, our, in our marriage, we don't have, uh, we're not really experts in the field. You know, we can't say we've counseled thousands of people and, uh, you know, recovered a bunch of marriages. So when we were thinking about what we could share in our seminar, we thought, hey, why don't we try to just share from our own experience? And so we sat down one day and we said, let's identify some of the biggest challenges that we have or that we've seen in other people, uh, close friends of ours, people that we look up to. And uh, so, we, so this is what we came up with. We were sitting down, we thinking, we can't think of any challenges that we go through, but we can think of some challenges that the Conways go through. And so what we did is, we listed those down. We listed those down. So this is kind of what we want to do. These are, these are challenges that are very, very small, uh, but, but if we allow them to, they become very big things. They become very big, th isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, the first one, um, that we want to talk about is childhood. <clears throat> now I think it's something that a lot of times we don't think about, we don't consider because we feel like the childhood is in the past and now we're in the present and we've moved on um, and those things don't affect us anymore. But really, um, you know, I'll read the challenge here. It says, marriage requires the blending of two vastly different lifestyles, values, habits, and role models who have been major factors which have been major factors in determining who we are. Now, whether we realize it or not, um, nobody, no two people grew up exactly the same. Even between siblings, you'll see a lot of um, differences. And so when you marry someone, um, <clears throat> you have to come with the understanding that these people grew up with completely different values, even like you know, their, their idea. And these are not, I'm not talking about um, like moral issues here. You know, I'm just talking about the way we do things. For example, um, that the way we eat. One person might be more healthier than the other. We both might be admins, both might be vegetarian, but it's styles. Are you do you eat regularly? Do you snack? You, do you eat right before you go to bed? Or, you know, all these different, do you eat sweets? Um, work ethic, some people might be more laid back, some people might be more intense about it. Um, even habits of spending, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think it's important to recognize that the way you're raised, um, a lot of those things, you'll, you, the things that aren't moral issues, you're going to have to keep in mind that you have to be willing to give up some of those things or to compromise those areas for the unity of your family. Um, even culture comes into play. Like, for example, Israel and I, we, I grew up um, with Korean immigrant parents. <laughs> And Israel grew up with Mexican immigrant parents, you know, and so the way we do things, the way we, we even think um, are different, and that's not wrong, but at the same time, it's something you have to consider. Like, just because of that, I can't use that against him. He offers different, unique ideas, and I offer unique ideas, and it, it's like a compromise. You have to decide what things are worth fighting over, what things are not, and decide on a way and talk about it to decide which way you want to live your life together. Um, a lot of things that come up is, you know, my mom always did it this way, though, or I grew up doing it this way. I think this is better. And the tendency is to think your way is always better because that's what you're used to. Um, but just having that openness. Another thing, too, that, um, that is really crucial is, you know, role model deficiencies that we may have had when we were younger. We may think, you know, we really love our parents, but little things that you may not even consider faults, and I think you, all, you, you might be able to identify with me. As you grow up, you start seeing the weaknesses in your parents. You start seeing more and more like, wow, they're not perfect people. Or maybe from the beginning you thought like, man, they have major issues, I never want to be like that. Regardless of whether you, you, you respect them or you don't, they influence you and their faults are passed down to you. And so it's important to keep in mind 
especially, you know, after becoming a parent, and I know you moms will understand, you think to your, or, you, or the dads too, you think to yourself, I'd never do that. My parents do things in a certain way, and I'll never do that. I'll never say, and then you get upset, and something just like, you, you know, comes out, and you're like, I can't believe I just did that, or I can't believe I responded in that way. And so those are things you have to understand that it's a constant battle to become better, and at the same time, the effort and the constant struggle is to become unified with your husband so that you kind of develop a new, different culture. You know, me, and it's not necessarily giving up, but just combining those things together so you can be on a united front. So the key with childhood is to understand that both, both individuals have two different types of experiences, and those two experiences need to be blended together so that when Judy and I get married, it's not that we have a Korean and a Mexican home, but that we, because of our two backgrounds, have established a new culture a new culture within our families. And this culture enables our kids to now have new ideas, you know? And so this will affect, this will affect how they grow up, this will affect how they view life, and then most importantly, this will affect how they view other children with different backgrounds and other childhood experiences. <clears throat> Next thing that we wanna talk about is communication. Uh, the challenge there, as it stated, is communication is always necessary, and usually the, most sing the, the single most difficult challenge to master in a marriage relationship. I mean, you don't have to even be married to, 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 to believe this one, right? Communication is always the challenge, has always been the challenge, it continues to be the challenge. You see, uh, you see uh, people that have been married for years that uh, they say they have the happiest marriage in the world and so forth, and then you see something go off and all of a sudden, well, honey, the thing is, well, no, well, the thing is, and then they get upset and they, get, they start arguing with each other. It's the most difficult thing to challenge, uh, the, the most difficult challenge to master, yet it is the one that is most important. You cannot survive without communication, right? Um, <clears throat> There's a few things that we need to, that we need to consider uh, along the lines of communication. Number one, we put there as A, communication shouldn't be valued above the relationship. This is what we mean by communication should not be valued ab above the relationship. Sometimes we have something in our mind that we want to communicate to the individual, to our spouse. And what happens is it is more important for us to get this thing off of our chest than to, than to keep the relationship working well. You know what I mean? There's many times where there's something in our minds, we want to we get it off, but this thing is more important than the relationship itself. One thing that Jude and I always uh, had when we were, when we were when we, especially when we first started was this whole thing with anger. You know, uh, we're very, very, we're both very, very quick people. We're, we like to like, we live very, very fast paced. And because of this, we have, uh, we have the tendency of just lacking patience and then quickly responding without, without thinking too much about the feelings of other people, just thinking about what needs to get done. And I remember when we first started, when we first got married, before we got married, by the way, I was for sure that I was ready for translation. I was wondering, I was wondering God, what's up? Like, I'm ready to meet Enoch. You know, I'm ready for this. And then we got married, and I said, oh, okay, I got a couple more years still. Uh, and, 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 and what happens when we came into the relationship, since I knew I was perfect, I knew that if there were any problems, they had to be on the other side. And so when we first got together, I said, Judy, you have problems with anger. You know, you just have problems with anger. And, um, and Judy would be like, I don't have problems with anger. Yes, you do. You have a lot of problems with anger, Judy. You're always getting mad. And then, uh, and, and, and what happened was that, 
I got to the point in my experience where I saw in my wife certain things that I wanted to communicate, but, I want, but communicating those things became more important than keeping our relationship happy, than making sure that my wife didn't make me sleep in the couch that evening, and making sure that our family would continue to grow. And so remember that communication is a means, not an end. So whenever you have something to, that you want to express, doesn't mean you should always express it, okay? There's something that is called, uh, that is called the spiral effect. The spiral effect. And this is when things go from bad to worse. I'm sure every married couple has, uh, has, has come up with, with uh, has, knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I, get to do a lot of, uh, I get to do a lot of traveling. And uh, sometimes, you know, we talked about yesterday, each individual has their own unique experience during the day, right? The mom's at home or the wife's at home or the wife's at work, wherever she is. She's going through the, her own unique challenges. The husband's at work. He's going through his own unique challenges. They come together and they both want to unload on the other person and then there's no happiness, right? I remember I was coming home, uh, I was coming home one day from work uh, from, a, from a long trip and we had all these things planned out when I got back. We said, hey, when I come back, Judy, I, I was telling her, I know we haven't spent a lot of time together. Usually, uh, Monday's my day off. And I'm coming in on a Monday, so already I'm not doing very well. I should have come in on a Sunday. Not doing very well. I'm thinking to myself, we're going we're gonna to go all out this Sunday. I'm going to take her out, romantic dinner. We're going to get some candles, bring them into the restaurant in our pockets, and we're going to set them up because I don't have them at the restaurant. <laughs> over there. This is, we're going to go all out. And we had all of these plans, and me, I, you know, I can't keep secrets, so I immediately begin to tell Judy, hey, Judy, this is, when I come home, we're going to go all out. We're going to get a limo. We're going to do all these things, make all these promises. We never got a limo, but just trying to make this story interesting. <laughs> I come home, get off, you know, we're landing. They let you turn your cell phone on, messages, an emergency came up. You got to come on this visitation. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, great. This is not going to be good. This, you know, this, this is like happens all the time now. And, and I'm wondering if Judy's even going to believe me that this is actual visitation or that if I'm going to sneak out to play something. I get home. Judy's gone through a rough uh, day. And now I've just come, you know, the kids are running all around, going crazy. And I say, hey, Judy, uh, I'm on the phone when I come in the door. Hey, Judy, listen, I got to go in the room real quick. I got to just take care of this one thing. After I'm done with this, for sure we can spend some time together, hang up. Oh, I forgot to tell you how to visitation, but after the visitation, what ends up happening is all of this time, I'm frustrating my wife, right? And then we finally get down to the point of uh, towards the end of the day where we're, where we're trying to communicate with each other, how was our day, and we try to appreciate each other every once in a while, right? And then we start talking. We start talking. The conversation is okay at first. I'm sure you had a rough day, Israel. Yes. I'm sure you had a rough day with the kids, right? Yes. Little by little, all of this frustration that has been built up throughout the day, or this could even sometimes happen in the morning, all the frustration that's built up from the day before, as you begin talking, you can be talking about pancakes, and before you know it, you're talking about how the fact that the pancakes cost money, our finances are not doing well, and then it just goes downhill. <laughs> Israel, you know that those pancakes are going to cost $3, right? Yes. You know we don't have $3 anymore, right? Because you spent it last time you went on a trip. Oh, why, Judy, why are you always talking about money? Like, don't you know God's going to take care of us? Israel, God, how can God take care of us if you keep on misusing the money? Judy, we're not misusing the money. Are you saying I'm unfaithful with my tithes and offerings? And then it goes and it gets worse and worse and worse. That's called the spiral effect. You start off with a nice conversation about pancakes. You end up with a conversation about 
You always lied to me. I don't know why I married you. I hate you. Get out of my life. Sleep it. I'm getting out of here. This is a thing. A couple of key things about, about, about the spiral effect. Number one is this. That in communication, when you're communicating something negatively, when things begin to spiral, remember that every single time the ball is on your court, you can stop the game. Right? Every time the ball's on your court, you can stop the game. If, if I say something that immediately sparks within my spouse anger or, 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 or dissatisfaction in some way or another, my wife can respond by saying, you know what, even though he said something that intentionally or unintentionally was there to hurt my feelings, I'm going to allow it to slip off and for the sake of Jesus, I'm going to forgive my spouse. Let's say my spouse refuses to do that. Let's say when we're having our, our conversation, she refuses to take that decision and say, and she lashes out, no Israel, those pancakes cost $3. So now it's my turn, right? I can decide if I'm going to say, Judy, why are you so cheap? Or I can say, you know what, Judy, you're right. We have to relook at our finances, or I can change the subject. Judy, your head looks beautiful today. <laughs> you can do something different, right? I, I, have, I have the opportunity to stop it, right? Opportunity to stop it. If I don't stop it, she's got the opportunity to repent from the first time and say, Israel, I should never have said that thing about the pancakes. Look, I'm sorry. I know that you have the finances under control because you're a banker. And so you're, I know you're going to handle this. And if she doesn't, I have the opportunity again to stop. And what I'm, the point that I'm making is when things begin to spiral, when things begin to spiral, each individual back and forth has the opportunity to stop it. And the reason why it continues to spiral is because someone does not make the choice to just be quiet, apologize, and take the hit. So if there's anything, number one is communication should never be the most important thing in a relationship. The relationship should be the most important thing. Communication is just a way by which the relationship is maintained. Therefore, we must choose whenever things begin to go bad, we must choose to stop those things as soon as possible. Why? Because every time something is negatively communicated, it makes an eternal impact. And even if you make up later on, that thing does not forever erase until Jesus comes again. So number one is, don't make relationship the very priority. Make the relationship the priority. The other thing is, there are certain things, there are certain things that if I cannot say in a loving manner, are best if I don't say them at all. Okay? If my wife, every time she says some word, totally irritates me, right? And if I can't communicate to my wife in a very good way, Judy, please stop using that word or whatever, right? It's best for me not to communicate it. And this is the problem that we face. Sometimes we think, hey, no, I'm going to communicate this in a very, very courteous way. You know, Judy, how you use that word, it just totally irritates me. Can you just please stop? Beautiful. It doesn't work that way, right? Usually we don't know how to communicate with the other person what's on our mind. And so the, 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 the bottom line is, if we cannot communicate it in a positive way, if we cannot communicate in a positive way, it's better, even if it's hurting you, it's better for it to be left alone. Okay? Better for it to be left alone. Um, <clears throat> the key to communication is this, and it's the bottom line key to the relationship, period. A relationship, which takes two people, will work always if both people are connected to God. Always works. I remember I was talking to Steve one day, or he was giving a seminar one day, and I heard him make the point. In a relationship, if we have an argument, 
you can rest assured if your other spouse has dedicated their life to God that yes, there might be a little bit of, of, of turbulence, but at the end of the day, when it comes down for us to kneel down and to begin to talk with God, God is going to say, Israel, remember what you said? Now's the time to get up and apologize, right? The key is, if you both of, of the individuals in a relationship have given themselves to God and continually do this, there's always a way to repair the communication. The other point is one step below that. If one of those individuals, if one of those individuals will make up their mind whether their husband or their wife is being retarded or not, if they will make up their mind and say, look, no matter how uh, foolish and silly you are, I'm going to choose to be Jesus to you today, the relationship can still work. But if both, if both decide to be immature, foolish, and devilish, people are going to be sleeping not just in the couch, they're going to be sleeping in a hotel somewhere while they get the divorce papers worked out. The key is don't make communication ever. Don't ever make that the priority in the relationship. Relationship always comes first. Okay, actually, I'm going to have Israel introduce... Um, well, I'll introduce the topic. The third one is called cats, and you're probably wondering what cats has to do with it. I love cats, first of all, but Israel's going to explain what cats is, and then I'll explain the topic. Okay, um... You know, when, when Gina and I were, were, were dating, we lived in two separate houses, two separate apartments. And then the thought came to me, you know, it was October, uh, October 10, October 4. Just kidding, babe. Uh, <laughs> hey, there's a lot of important days in October, okay? <laughs> October 4, I rolled around, it was her birthday, 10-4. Got to find ways to remember, guys. Her birthday was rolling around. I thought, I thought of the most genius idea. I said, man, I'm going to buy her the best thing, the, the, her favorite gift in the world, which is, what do you think? Cats. Cats. Yeah. Who said chocolate? Do you see cats on here? And does it say chocolate or cats? <laughs> cats. So I went out to the Humane Society. This made me look really good, because not only am I buying her a cat, I'm buying it from the Humane Society. She's like a super animal lover. So I went to the Humane Society, bought a cat for $15, and uh, <laughs> oh my, <laughs> hey, but, but, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, once you start adding the surgeries and all those other things, I think it added up close to 1,000, <laughs> if I remember correctly. So I went out, bought a beautiful orange cat, Nice cat. It was a kitten. It was, you know, it hadn't been in the Humane Society yet. The person was just bringing it in. I said, hey, let me just buy that right now. And I, so I bought it before, you know, it got contaminated by the other cats and all that. <laughs> I bought it. I roll up to her apartment and I'm like, Judy, check this out. So she goes crazy. Oh my goodness, Israel, you're the best in the world. You got me an orange cat. This is so awesome. The cat is so cute. Blue eyes. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I'm ready to propose. So I did. I mean, not then, but like couple, a, couple of, a couple of months or days or weeks later, uh, I proposed. But you know what happened when we, when we got married? We actually bought a house together. And then she went out because she was working all day. And she said, look, the cat is, you know, I'm gone all day. The cat comes uh, in the middle. When I come home at night, the cat's just scratching, want to play. He needs a friend. So I said, yeah, go buy him a friend. So she buys him a friend, so now she has two cats. And when we get married, we had cats. Okay, 
And what he didn't, what he failed to tell you is that he's actually allergic to cats, and he doesn't really like cats so much. So what he didn't consider was that in giving me cats, he would soon inherit that back when we got married. Okay, so um, cats is really talking about the baggage and the different things that we bring into our relationships that whether we realize it or not, it may be positive for one person, but negative for the other. Um, it could be negative for both. Um, so the challenge is, a lot of times, people with the baggage, you know, they're, they're the ones who don't even realize that they have baggage. Like I thought, you know, I grew up quite the goody-goody. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> and so, you know, I just thought I would, you know, nothing, I mean, what could be wrong with, with adorable little kittens, right? You know, but I bring it in and I start realizing that that small little thing started causing strife, you know? When we get into an argument, man, you treat your cats better than you treat me, you know, and all these, <laughs> all these <laughs> And so, and Don't it's not. Destroy <laughs> the home. No. Get rid of them. He loves them now. But anyway, um, so what we're talking about here is not only, you know, positive things like that, but traumatic experiences, you know? When, when people, particularly in the childhood, and I know we already talked about childhood, but any, any things, any traumatizing experiences, um, whether, you know, people were teased when they were younger, whether there was any sort of abuse, um, whether we even realize it or not, you know? Um, diseases, disorders, loss of loved ones, breakups, you may not even realize that that is holding you back until you get into the marriage because somehow you feel like you know, somehow all those things become manifest in that marriage. And we really believe that God, um, God gives us the ability to restore a lot of that pain and a lot of those things through our marriage, through that acceptance to one another. But it really depends on how we handle that. Um, you know, a lot of things, too, if you, going back, going back to the childhood, people who, who grew up, for example, without a father or without a mother, it may not affect you until you, real, until you go out and try to find that spouse. You may not be realizing it, but you're trying to actually look for a father or you're trying to actually look for a mother. But when you get married, that's not how it works, you know? Um, your spouse does not want to be your dad. Your wife really, even though she sometimes acts like it, doesn't want to be your mother, you know? Um, and so we're not saying we know the answers because, you know, there are different types of baggage that bring along, but just recognizing the fact that it does exist, every person has it, and that we need to have a tolerance for the other person, have an understanding spirit, and really work together to resolve the issues that have come up. Talk about it. Talk about experiences that, that, um, that you went through as a child, you know. For me, as a personal example, when I, when I was growing up, um, I was kind of like a tomboy, and I, I was kind of like a little bit bigger. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of times people would, you know, like I'd be going through like the potluck line, and the women would just be like, oh, you don't get so much food, you know. Or they would say something like, wow, you got bigger, you know. <laughs> and, you know, you don't really think that it affects you because they're like, who cares, right? But when you get married, you start thinking like, do these really look okay? You know, and then you're thinking in your mind like, he thinks I'm fat right now. You know, or, you know, and, and he's just like, get over it. What is your problem? Like, what's your obs <laughs> obsession with the way you look or exercising or s don't keep stepping on the scale? You know, even little things like that. And it, it really affects, it's not like a, um, it's not like some phantom, you know, thing that, it's a real issue that people have in their hearts. And you can do either one of two things. Um, one thing is you can keep dwelling on that fact and keep talking about it and sharing. So I can say, you guys know, sit him down and say, Israel, you know, I, I think I really have a problem with like, you know, let's say it's like my self-esteem or I think I'm really fat or something like that. And he'll say, oh, no, don't worry. I think it's fine. You know, you just need to get over it and I still love you no matter what. And he can affirm. And then I'll come up again and, you know, I can keep dwelling on that fact. I can say, well, you know, you weren't very nice to me. Is it because like I look fat? 
you know? And I can keep dwelling and dwelling. It's to the point where he'll get, start, he'll, he'll get so hooked on that issue that he'll feel the need to constantly be like, oh, you look so gorgeous. You look great. Oh, you look slimming. Did you lose some weight? You know, and, and it becomes an issue in that aspect. But what, what we need to do is actually get to the point where for things that aren't deep-seated issues, like maybe some things actually need professional help. But things like, you know, me looking fat, I really don't think that's an issue. It didn't traumatize me that, that deeply. I need to make a commitment to myself saying, I'm going to stop this. You know, it's really not, I know he loves me. The devil is constantly putting these thoughts into my mind, and I'm not even going to talk about it anymore. I let him know once. He didn't forget, right? Sometimes, I, you know, we think we need to keep reminding people. Just drop it, let it go, and let God take care of it. It becomes a personal issue, okay? So there are a lot of things that we feel like our husbands are, you know, need to deal with it, or our wives need to deal with it. We, we need to let go. Other things may need professional help. Um, but the point is that everybody comes with baggage. It's normal. Um, and don't get discouraged about it. But what we need to do is we need to accept the fact that this person came out that way. No regrets, right? Israel has baggage. I accept it all because I choose to love him. I have baggage. And at the same time, have patience with one another um, and know that God can still transform and change us. The other thing about baggage is, <clears throat> first of all, the, we, we have to understand that we ourselves have baggage. Coming into a relationship, we think always that person's got so much baggage, and we start thinking like we don't have any baggage. And so this affects the way in which we treat the other person, right? When the other person responds a way or when the other person behaves a certain way, we just go out at them. Like, why do you do things this way? Why are you this way? Why do you have this thing? Why, why do you have so much baggage? And we forget that that person has to deal with our baggage that we are unaware of. So remember, all of us have baggage when we're coming into a relationship. We're all coming with something. This idea, or not this, the knowledge of this, should, should help us in treating others with the same care and consideration that we'd want them to treat us with our baggage. <clears throat> the, the, fourth, uh, the fourth challenge that we identified was the challenge of chemistry. Cuddling takes chemistry, right? All the married people know that, amen? And some of us simply do not have enough of a science background to create bonding effect, all right? You know, uh, when, uh, when, when, uh, when you're getting married, you start thinking in your mind, man, life is going to be good after this. We're going to be able to finally hold hands and kiss without having to be, like, afraid of people looking at us and whether we're going to get caught by other people, right? <laughs> and so you come into the relationship having an idea of how your intimate life, your sexual life is going to be once you get married. Not knowing that, that it takes a certain amount of chemistry to make things work even after marriage, even after marriage. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the purpose of sexuality in, in, in the marriage relationship. Number one is this. Sexuality, intimacy between a, a couple, is given to us as an illustration of the intimacy, the type of intimacy, the closeness that God wants to have with his people, with his church, and with us as individuals. In other words, the Bible says that Adam and Eve, they became one when they entered into the marriage relationship. And uh, sexuality in a relationship, lovemaking, is the, is the closest thing that you can come to in oneness, right? You are literally one with each other. This illustration is nothing but a parable of the closeness, the intimacy that God wants to, that want, that God wants to exist between us and Him. So this means that uh, sexuality, sex should be used in a relationship for the purpose and for the only purpose of establishing an intimate relationship. Okay? 
Sexuality has not been created, even in the marriage home, just to help someone relieve any uh, hormones that exist in that person. It is not there for some type of relief or just to feel good or just to, uh, just to experience some type of high. There is a type of spiritual intimacy that exists with the physical intimacy. That is the purpose of marriage. Therefore, any use, uh, and, uh, the use of sexuality in the marriage outside of that, it is not lovemaking, it's just simply sex. Okay? That's the, the first point that we want to make. Secondly, how, how do we develop this thing? How do we develop this whole thing of sexuality? These are things that all of you already know. You've probably read enough books on this. You've heard it enough. But there are things that you know, we don't have any new information on, so we're going to pass on to you again. You'll hear it for the fifth time. Every one of us is created with on and off buttons, right? Um, and the key is, don't be lazy once you get into a marriage relationship and, and, and just expect, uh, expect uh, your spouse to turn on the on button every, every single time you need it. Work at it, study your relationship, and find out what it is that allows your spouse the opportunity to be, uh, to be at the place where they need to be in order for you, in order for you to experience that intimacy, that love that, that you need to be expressed. Um, I remember when, when, especially when we first got married, you're thinking, hey, you know, now that we're married, we need to understand each other, and, and let's just be understanding and selfless about, about everything in our relationship. And that trickles down even to the way in which you express intimacy. But even in the intimacy, there needs to be selflessness expressed, okay? We need to be considered for what the other person wants and what kind of environment they want created in order for them to be happy in that experience. Um, Judy, uh, in the previous session, talked about how she enjoys a clean house. And by the way, when she means she enjoys a clean house, she enjoys a clean house. Like, we leave to come to GYC, we have to clean up the house. When we come back, even though we haven't been living in it, the house is still dirty again, so we have to re-clean it again before we go into it. And I'm like, can I just get some sleep? And she's like, no, we got to clean the house. So we're cleaning the house. So what ends up happening is she likes a clean house. So if I'm coming home from work, intimacy, by the way, is not always expressed just in sexuality. Sexuality is a culmination, right, or the climax of intimacy, oneness. What happens is, come home from work, I'm tired out, and I'm, I haven't seen my wife all day long. I'm sick of, of, of seeing other people, right, that are just getting on their, this is recorded, that are just, we're having a hard time, uh, <laughs> that we're having a hard time with. So you're coming home and you're thinking, man, it's going to be good for me just to spend some time with my wife, with my spouse, right? So I come home and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is clean the house, right? Amen? <laughs> But my wife, she doesn't love cleaning the house. She just loves a clean house, my thinking. So I'll come home. The house is a mess. The kids have just been playing around all over the place. You know, the little felts are all over on the curtains, on the couch, on the dog. And um, so you're, we're coming home, and I say, you know what, Judy? Hey, why don't you just sit down with me, and let's just spend some time. Let's read a book together. Let's talk about happy things, not about ugly things. And let's just, let's just spend time together. And I'm expecting, I have a need, right? I have a need to spend time with my wife. And I'm expecting my wife to say, okay, yeah, because he loves me, because he loves me, I want to just drop everything that I'm doing right now and be irresponsible and spend time with my husband. And she doesn't always respond that way. She says, Israel, right now is not a responsible thing for us to do this. We need to clean the house. Our house is messy. And, I, and then I get up from the couch and I get upset. 
Judy doesn't love me. She loves the house more than she loves me. She treats the cats better than she treats me. She treats the dog better than she treats me. She holds the dog but doesn't hold me. What's up with that? She shouldn't marry the dog, right? You start thinking. What ends up happening is that there are certain on buttons that my wife has that help us create an environment in which intimacy can be practiced, whether it's cleaning up the house or whether it's a physical touch or whatever it is, and I'm not pressing that button. I'm not pressing it. So she is not in a situation where she has been prepared to enjoy intimacy with me in whatever way, shape, or form. The opposite is true, you know, uh, with, um, with, 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 with the husband or the wife. It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm using the illustration because I'm a guy, so I gotta talk about my wife, right? So this is the thing. The point is that there are certain intimacy buttons that are pushed on that lead from whether it's just the initial stages of the expression of love to the full climax of the usage of love, which is in, in, in the sexual relationship. And the key is that it is important for us not to be selfish in our expression of love and our desire to be shown love, but rather to study our home relationship and find out what it is, what it is that makes the other individual ready to enjoy the chemistry that exists between the two people. And you have a bonding effect. One more thing I just wanted to add to that too is um, I think it's really important for for couples to um, to ha to to experience you know um, that intimacy. However, at the same time, um, I think it's important to understand that. Well, actually, my cousin shared this advice with me before we got married. He said, in that actual act, you know. Um, He's like, have you had the talk about it? I'm like, no, I really don't know what, what's going to happen, you know. But he said, just keep in mind that it's for the other person. If you keep in mind that you're doing this for the other person, for the other person's enjoyment, and not for yourself, you know, it'll make things a lot more positive. And I think that's a, that's a characteristic of love that a lot of times we don't think about, because we want to get into it for ourselves, right? Because we're in the mood, right? But if you're doing it because that other person um, or you're doing it for the other person and you want the other person to be happy, you're not really going to be thinking about yourself. So if you don't, if you don't you know, reach the climax or if, if you don't really experience that, you know, you're still satisfied because you're happy to make the other person do that. And one thing that I hope Israel doesn't mind me sharing this, but, but something I really appreciate about Israel is he made that commitment right from the very beginning, like that first night, you know, after we were married, where he told me, I am not... I will never, do, I, I do not want to ever do this unless you want to do it, you know. And I thought that was so sweet. And you don't really understand until later on, and, you know, and then, because at first you're so excited about it, but as time goes on, you know, at least um, for me sometimes I feel, I'm not really in the mood or whatever, but um, he'll, even though he, he, he's really into it, he, does, he, he's not, he doesn't even want to do it. He'll completely stop himself because I'm doing it just for you. And I think that's something that's important for particularly men, because a lot of times women will do it for the other person, but they're not really into it. Um, but just something to keep in mind, doing it for the other person. Okay, I'm going to actually just introduce this last one, number five, which is cash and money, and then Israel will talk more about it. Now, Israel and I, um, I tend to be kind of like a perfectionist, so I always want things very, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hi, Eldon. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I really like things really orderly. So when I was single, you know, like my checkbook was like completely filled out. Even when I used the little debit card, I'd fill it out and have every cent. I knew, I knew exactly where every single penny of my money went to. And when Israel came into the relationship, he was a little bit more um, loose. 
and relaxed, laid back. Sharing. Sharing. Yeah, definitely sharing, you know, about it. And so having to merge both of our budgets together, it was a, it was a big challenge for us. Um, and so we, we would read a book or we'd hear some advice and we're like, okay, we need to do this. And we'd work at it and we'd create this budget and we'd, you know, go on for like, you know, a year maybe, and we'd just be so unhappy about it, you know? And then we'd it'd finally get to like a boiling point, and we're like, you know what? You, you know, I, give me your credit card, I'm gonna rip it up, or however it was, and then, we're, and, then, and then we'd have no budget system. And then we'd come up with some like new truth, you know, we'd come to a seminar like Ed Reed or something, be like, oh, we should try that, you know, and go on to the next one, and then, you know, it would kind of work, some things would work and some things wouldn't, we're like, man, we're just having so many issues, we just need to pray about it, you know? Um, but my point is, we actually went through maybe like, we've been married almost five years, probably five different budget plans or different things, you know, and we kept switching because we could not get the right one. And we were always so discouraged. Um, but, but, the, but something that we learned is now, we learned that it's okay, first of all, to um, not succeed in your budget plan. I think, I think not all things work for every person, but it's important, however, to find that one plan that works for both of you. I think we have very unique circumstances because we are so different in our spending and the way we use our money, but when things aren't working in your marriage, switch it up. It's okay to have a meeting about it. Let's modify certain things. Let's come up with an agreement, but make sure you're always in agreement with what that plan is, whether you're changing the plan, whether you're using somebody else's plan, or whether you're adding or subtracting. Um, plans. So things can always change, but make sure you're always working at it. The, the key about um, creating a budget is that for many, for many people that we know, it, it becomes a system of trial and error, right? You're going to go through a budget, you're going to try to work that thing out, it's going to work for some time, then it's going to stop working, and uh, you come back and redo it. The key is don't get discouraged every time your budget doesn't work, just create a new one and get, get on with life, right? This is something that we thought was helpful in our relationship when we talked about budgeting. Number one is take both person's spending habits into consideration. So what happens is when we get married, automatically we're thinking, hey, my budget system is the best, right? So we're like, Judy, you know what? Quit being so stingy. Like, God is going to take care of us. Let's go. Let's move on with life. Let's have faith, right? Amen. And let's just, let's spend all of our money. God is going to take care of us. <laughs> The other, the, and I say, look, this is the way. If you don't do this, Judy, you need an altar call. You don't trust the Lord. Come to the altar, right? And uh, so what happens is we think our budget system is the best. Judy, on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, thinks her budget system is the best. So she's saying, Israel, you know we're living the last days, right? We can't trust our money with the banks. Let's keep our money underneath our bed. We need to save every single penny. We need to save it all. And after we're done, we're going to go to those people that store it up and buy from them, right? We're going to be secure. So we have to make an investment right now so that when the time of trouble comes, we're set. We're set. We're going to be living like kings. And so I say, no, Judy. And then she says, Israel, you need to come to the altar. Then the woman starts preaching and it gets crazy, right? So what happens is we get into the marriage. We think that our budget plan is the best and we want to make the other person submit to our budget plan. And so what my suggestion is don't do that. Don't do that. It's better for us to sit down and say, look, this is my spending, this is my, these are my spending habits. Let's talk about them. If any of them are wrong, then let's change them. 
But some of them we're going to just disagree on, on whether I'm right or wrong about these things. And if we disagree, that's fine. Let's keep them on and let's draw, let's draw a plan that takes these habits into consideration. Now let's look at your habits. Some of your habits are wrong. We're going to both agree on that. Let's get rid of those habits. If there's something that we cannot agree on, then we agree to disagree. We take those habits into consideration and then we merge plans together and a system so that I have the freedom of being Israel, she has the freedom of being Judy, and our home has the freedom from bankruptcy, right? So that's the main point. Uh, don't just completely throw away your other spouse's spending habits and make them become just like you. Let's merge the things together and let's create an area in which we can spend money uh, in, in, in a free way while at the same time ensuring that we are meeting our uh, financial goals. Something that Judy and I did is, the bottom line was we realized we just spend money differently. I can go out and buy a computer uh, for five thousand, not five thousand dollars, but an expensive object, right? I can go buy an expensive object because I need it and it doesn't matter if I'll eat food for the next three weeks or not, I'm going to go out and buy it because I need it. Whereas my wife is, she won't buy things that she needs so much, but if it's on sale, she'll buy 500 of them, right? We'll be using some of the things that my wife bought in heaven. So, you know, she'll go out. So there's different ways of spending money. So what happens is we'll go to the computer store and I say, Judy, we really need this computer. She says, no, we don't. Don't spend the money on that. We're not going to do that. So I don't get to buy that and I get mad and I'm angry. Then we go to the store and there's this one thing for $1.99. She says, Israel, let's buy a thousand of these. And I'll say, Judy, you're crazy. We don't need that. We don't need that right now. And she says, but it's on sale. I was like, we don't, I don't, we don't need, we don't, we don't use that. And we're not going to sell it on you. So let's not buy that. So then we leave and then she's unhappy. So we're both unhappy. But what happens is if we divide the money up in a certain way so that we both have freedom, then both of us can be happy. Something that we did was uh, we said, hey, look. We're going to pay our bills, and after we pay our bills, what we'll do for each other monthly is give us a certain amount of freedom spending money that the other person has nothing, to, no, no authority over. And this will allow me the freedom if I want to go out and, and, uh, and buy my wife something that uh, is expensive, she won't complain about it and say, why did you buy that? Go return it. I don't even like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if she comes home with, you know, uh, 500 little $1 uh, on sale items, I'm not going to say, Judy, I don't need to take that back, right? So what happens is there's a freedom in which we can express ourselves and be ourselves and buy the things that we feel we need without going bankrupt and without having the other person always be constantly on our back being our financial advisor. So take, take a, make a plan that takes both uh, spending habits into consideration and develop your plan based on that thing. The other, second thing that I want to talk about in this is, remember, your spouse is your spouse. They are not your children, okay? They're not your children. So don't treat your spouse like you treat a child. Spouse comes home from work or your, your, your spouse goes out shopping, comes back. What you spend your money on? Let me see the receipt. Let's look this thing over. We're going to return this. You know we're going to return this, right? We're not, this return? Okay. You know, don't, don't treat your spouse like a child. Your spouse is your equal. And because of this, let, uh, don't, ever let, let, don't allow yourself to come to the point where you begin to talk down on your spouse and on the way that your spouse spends money. This will end up causing a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. Let your spouse be your equal. Don't treat them that way because they're not going to respond positively. And we already know that, right? We already know that. Um, <clears throat> let me see the, let me, I'm trying to look at the last one. Okay. Um, the last thing is, 
The last thing is, don't allow your spending habits to become a response to the spending habits of your husband or your wife. Okay, that happens all the time too. Don't allow your spending habits to become a response to the spending habits of your spouse. This is what I mean by that. My wife goes out, she buys a, you know, a, a little 199 on sale object, right? She comes home, and then now, because of this, I'm going to respond to that. And I say, you know what, all my spending now becomes revenge. So when I go on a trip where she can't stop me, I'm going to buy a bunch of expensive things. Come back with books I'm not even going to read, come back with whatever, 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 right? Don't allow your spending habits to always be a response to the spending habits of your wife or of your, of your husband. Okay, so real quick overview, these are the challenges that we came up with. Childhood, bringing the past experience, your culture, everything that you are, who you are as a person into the relationship. Everyone has a background. Number two, communication. Don't allow communication to be the, the end of the relationship. Allow it to be a means to the end of the relationship. Cats, remember that everyone's got baggage. Respond in a way that allows the other person to be happy, that allows the other person to be happy with the baggage that you have. So treat others the way you want to be treated with your baggage. Number four, chemistry. Remember that it, chemistry requires study. Chemistry requires selflessness. And chemistry requires consideration of the other person. Number five, cash. S develop a system of money spending that is, consider that is considered of both people. And don't ever treat your, your spouse like a child. Create something that allows freedom, yet allows security as well. Are there any questions, anything that anyone else wants to add on to this before we close? What time are we supposed to end? We have five minutes. Any comments, any questions, anything that, any discussion before we close? All right. Let's go ahead and bow our heads with the word of prayer, and then we'll end. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that challenges are just ways in which you reveal to us who we are. And through these challenges, you put a mirror in front of our face so that we can see that we fall short of reaching your standard and your glory. Father, we ask that challenges would be a way that you lift us up, a way in which you would make us more like you, and ways in which you would strengthen our marriages. And that through these challenges, you would draw us closer to you and also closer to each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.